With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. John DeGeese joining me from Chicago on the heels of a busy weekend out in California for the California Eight Hours. We've got that to talk about on the show, John, plus some news and interview with Nick Foster and uh, also some uh, a listener question to get to at the tail end of the show here this week. You ready to dive into this thing? Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, here we go. Let's start with the California Eight Hours, round two of the Intercontinental GT Challenge, powered by Pirelli. Admittedly, the car count was down, as we've talked about, but nevertheless, the strength of the pro class was quite good. We saw a lot of diversity in the grid with eight different manufacturers now registered going for the Intercontinental GT Challenge Manufacturers Championship, and that diversity showed in the final results as well, which we can talk about in a moment. But at the front of the field, by the end of it, Hub Auto Corsa Ferrari, a team from Taiwan that maybe wasn't on the short list of favorites coming into the weekend, turned out they were the dominant team. And if not for an air gun issue, they really might have run away with this thing even more than they did. Nick Foster, Tim Slade, and Miguel Molina teaming up for a pretty remarkable win. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I was really blown away by their performance, the level of preparation that they came with, and and pretty much a mistake-free race once they got the air gun situation figured out. Yeah, the the team themselves wasn't a huge surprise to me. I've seen their performance in Asia uh, and actually in Australia too. This this um, year's season opening Bathurst twelve hour. I remember I think when Nick put it on pole for the Suzuka ten hours in August, and that was, was sort of a surprising thing to me. I think it was actually an all front row by by Hub Auto. Uh, unfortunately, the their race didn't go to plan back then, but um, it definitely it looked like a very serious effort. Their front runners in the Blancpain GT world challenge asia and you know it, it wasn't a huge you know shock to see them quick you know in practice and qualifying and even the early stages of the race but for them to put in a flawless performance and to sort of be ahead of the rest and on sheer pace i think was the most surprising part of the weekend um you know the, the team was making their u.s debut all three drivers i believe were as well um the ferrari's obviously a proven commodity at uh, WeatherTech raceway laguna seca but other than that, you know, it, it weren't really any many other um, veteran aspects to this program. And for them to sort of go out there and, and win the race in that fashion was very impressive. Yeah, like you said, it was the first time for these drivers to be racing at this particular track, which has its own unique set of challenges, I think. And an additional challenge that was thrown into the mix was the fact that it ran the entire race without a safety car intervention. So when you say that these guys won on on pure pace, that's really true because there was nothing to bring the rest of the field back to them outside of, again, that, that one air gun issue, which was a bit strange. It was a slow pit stop. I think it was their second or third pit stop. And ultimately what it was was simply there wasn't enough air pressure going to the air gun. And as soon as the team had that fixed... 
they were pretty flawless in pit lane too. So uh, you look at what they did. This was a big win for Ferrari as well. I believe it's their first win as an Intercontinental GT Challenge manufacturer. And uh, so for them, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. And you look at the, the types of teams that they beat with Grupa M, Mercedes finishing second land, and WRT Audi, of course, competing. Straka was there. I mean, some pretty big names in GT racing globally, not to mention Park Place and Wright Motorsports from the States that were campaigning the Porsches. And as you'll hear in the interview I did with Nick after the race, this is one of those wins that I think everyone has to stop and suddenly take notice. Maybe if you were paying attention, like you were, obviously, John, you, this is a team that you were aware of. But I think uh, this signals globally that this Hub Auto team is, is not to be trifled with. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, the level of teams they were going up against, you know, you can also add in Schnitzer, you know, uh, back at Laguna Seca for the first time since 2001, when they were um, taking part in the ALMS back in those days. Yeah, uh, Bentley as well, KCMG, um, the, the, the depth of this year's field was enormous. Even though we had a small car count, um, it was some of the best drivers and best GT teams around the world, you know, that um, came together for, for this event. And um, I was definitely really surprised by their performance and how they just kept it together for the entire eight hours. They were certainly not daunted by the level of competition. That's for sure. I, I thought, too, the, the second place Mercedes from Group M was a good story there. Really, as a whole, it had been a struggle, it appeared, for for Mercedes going back to practice and certainly in qualifying with just a single Mercedes making it to the top 10 pole shootout. And it was this Maxi Buk, Maxi Getz, and Raffaele Marciello-driven Mercedes AMG GT3 that ultimately finished in second spot. They had a really good start to the race. I think Maxi Buk jumped from something like 10th to 5th in the first lap or two and gradually made their way up from there. That's a big deal for Mercedes because they had such a good outing at Bathurst. While they didn't win, they left as the the leaders in the Manufacturers' Championship. And again, when some of their closest competition, at least the, the, the manufacturers that we expect to be their closest competition throughout the season, faltered, for them to be able to score big points like this, that's going to be big at the end of the year, I think. Absolutely. Uh, the Grupa M trio take over the championship lead from the driver's perspective um, following their, their second place finish, um, courtesy of a retirement by the 912 Porsche trio that had won Bathurst. Um, that car was extremely strong in the early stages, um, dropped out right past the halfway mark with gearbox issues, which is a real shame for Dirk Werner, Dennis Olsen and Matt Campbell. Um, they looked to be on track for another strong run in what was fielded by Wright Motorsports this weekend after Earl Bamber Motorsport entered uh, the, the car at uh, Bathurst. But going back to Mercedes, I think, yeah, they've always been the consistent brand. They've always been a level of consistency. And, and I think this weekend proved it again um, with Grupa M finishing second and sixth. Um, you know, there was no chance to make up any lost time. And I think both those cars really had it nailed. Um, um, you know, and a real hat off to that team because they didn't expect to run two cars this weekend. Speaking to the um, the chief engineer on that organization, he said they were sort of scrapping things together at the last minute because they only knew about two and a half weeks before the race that they were going to run the second car at the at the request of Mercedes AMG. They had to go fly in another car, find extra crew. They actually borrowed some pit equipment from KCMG to get the job done, and they had lost some other equipment on in route. So. Um, to see what they were able to put together in, in the race was even more impressive. 
No doubt. Uh, finishing third was the second Porsche in the field from Park Place Motorsports. That was run by Matthew Jaminet, who was very quick all weekend. Roman Dumas and Sven Muller also part of that driving lineup. They ultimately had some braking issues that caused them to lose pace in the second half of the race. They were running up in second. Really looked like they might be a contender for the win before the brake problems and ultimately faded back to third to round out the podium, but still a, a good result and a needed one from the Porsche perspective after the Bathurst winning crew had their DNF earlier in the event. I do want to talk, though, about Audi because this is the manufacturer that has dominated this championship um, it dominated this race as well, going back to the previous runnings. They had won both and stuck cars on pole for both, and really it was not a good weekend for Audi. I think somewhat better than what we saw at Bathurst, but even still, looking for a bounce back, I- I'm not really sure they got the one that they were expecting or, or certainly the one that they wanted. And I have to wonder, um, speaking to some of the drivers and, and folks from Audi, it seems like for whatever reason this Evo kit has not delivered the performance and the results that, that Audi has been looking for. We've seen flashes in some races, but on the whole, I have to feel like this has been a little bit of a disappointing rollout for the Evo version of the R8 LMS. Uh, have you heard the same thing? Yeah, I'd actually agree with you on that, Ryan. Nobody's come out and actually said it. It's the Evo kit. You know, none of the drivers, none of the team or manufacturers, and probably understandably because they've invested a lot of money into this package and really billing it as a very, you know, gentleman driver friendly car to drive. But maybe when it sort of comes down to these real fierce battles when you're with all pro driver lineups and, and the like, um, especially at a, at a track like Laguna Seca, um, you know, it may not be that strong. And it does beg the question, you know, could we could some Audi teams revert back to the old generation car? I guess it technically could be possible, but I don't think we would see that um, from any of the factory supported operations. Um, it was a bit interesting last year. We saw the the Porsche cars sort of go back and forth between the, the Evo and the, the non-Evo in the previous generation 911. I remember um, Kraft Bamboo showed up to the Suzuka 10 hours with non-Evo spec cars. They actually got the Monthai guys a little bit upset because they had the Evo in the non-Evo um, apparently worked a little better at that track than the Evo. So um, you're going to get this kind of stuff, especially with the, the way the BOP tables are, are laid out. And, and if there's some certain help or, or favors given to the, 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 the Evo spec car, you know, it may be end up being more worthwhile to go to the non-Evo. But um, yeah, a really uncharacteristic race again for Audi. Their, their best car being the WRT uh, machine finishing fourth. The land car had e- even a more miserable race. Um, Marcus Winkelhock got tagged by Martin Tomczyk in the corkscrew. That ultimately, we believe, led to a shock absorber failure. Um, the Kelvin van der Linde and Chris Meese had a hold on to for the last three hours of the race. Um, those two guys were exhausted when they got out of the car because they ended up having to do extra drive time um, because Winkelhock ended up um, getting out of his car, out of the car in his opening stint um, sick. He was battling the flu all weekend and doctors didn't clear him to return so um, the remaining two drivers had to sort of pick up the slack and and complete additional drive time um, kelvin told me post-race that his four hours in the car felt almost more difficult than a 24-hour race so that sort of puts things in perspective you know not only a Ill- Ill- ill-handling car him stepping up for an additional drive time but also the the caution-free nature of the race um, really made it hard on these drivers definitely and the caution-free nature of the race is 
one other thing I wanted to talk about, but uh, just just as a whole, looking at this event, how would you assess what we had? Uh, we can talk about what the future of the California Eight Hours is going to look like in a moment when we get to our news section, because you had a nice story with some quotes from Stefan Rotel, basically emphasizing his commitment to this event, and again, more on that in a moment. But uh, and in, in a way, despite the lower car count, I did think there was some captivating racing. I think it would have been better had there been a few incidents along the way to bunch the field up. Um, that being said, it was neat to see a new distance record. My understanding from your notebook was that this was the longest distance covered in any race in track history, which is pretty remarkable. And so... I, you know, there there was still a lot to take away from this, and I think the diversity of the grid, probably number one, and then also the quality of the driver lineups was number two. But what, how would you assess what we saw over the weekend, John? I think it was a great event if you're looking at it just from a all-pro factory GT3 standpoint. Um, you know, I, I really don't think you could have gotten a better field of diversity of manufacturers, drivers, teams, all at that same level. But at the same time, there was nothing really below it. There was three GT4 cars and uh, a cup car, a, a Lamborghini Huracan Super Trofeo. And that really didn't pick up the slack in terms of, you know, the rest, rest of the field. If we saw some GT3 Pro-Am entries, some All-Am entries, um, a larger GT4 grid like we saw in October, I think that would have really made it the perfect race. Um, you know, Stefan told me he'd like to see 40 cars here one day. Personally, I think that's too much. I think that track, the track might not be able to handle that size of a, of a grid, but, um, you know, put it at 35 and, you know, I think that could be easily be achievable if you get the gentleman drivers and the customers involved. And, um, you know, absolutely. There were a lot of positive points and, um, you know, if it was up to me, I wouldn't change a thing up front. I think it produced great racing. Um, the only thing is it ran caution free and that did make it a little dull at points. And I think it was an interview you had with Ranger of uh, Anderzander during the race for, he sort of said, you know, we wish we had other cars on track to sort of cause cautions and cause chaos because that's what helps the, the race sort of develop into other in other areas. And he's right. You know, we're, we don't go to races to look for the crashes, but that does add a, a different element of strategy to the, to the race. And if it stays caution free, uh, it, it sort of puts everything more into a rhythm, into a, a what's expected, uh, you know, a, a normal uh, event. So, um, having a little more suspense and, and, and excitement maybe per se, wouldn't have been a bad thing. And I think, too, having multiple classes in larger numbers, even if it's not cautions that we're talking about, it still provides opportunities for overtaking um, when the faster cars are coming through the, the, the slower class field. And where there really wasn't a whole lot of that with just four cars that were not from the GT3 ranks. I actually thought you had an interesting potential solution to getting more GT4 cars in the field, and I'll let you talk about that in just a moment. Before that, though, I'd like to mention there were also GT4 America Sprint X West races over the weekend, and Stephen Cameron Racing won race one with Greg Leofush and Sean Quinlan, while ST Racing won race two with John Miller and Harry Gottsacker. But I thought something that you proposed when we were talking over the weekend was was worth considering a way to incorporate that GT4 America uh, Sprint X West field into potentially the California eight hours. 
Yeah, um, it's something that happened at the Bathurst 12-hour a few years ago when that round was a points-paying event of the Australian GT Championship. And what happened there was that any of the registered Australian GT cars, I think they were mainly just GT3s, they contested, I think, the first hour of the race. And after that, any of those cars that only wanted to do that part of the race they just pulled into the pits and called it quits because they got their points for that race and any other cars that wanted to do the full 12 hours continued with you know no regrets no you know no nothing they can just finish the finish the race and as you know uh as that one-off event per se um was and i sort of thought that would have been a good idea to to sort of fill the field for the the california eight hours you know we had a 10 we actually ended up with nine gt4 cars for the GT4, probably GT4 uh, West West Championship over the weekend. One of them was double duty, the same chassis um, being used in both from TRG. But it could have been an opportunity where you had eight more cars on the grid, at least for the first hour of the race. And I'm sure a couple of those teams, if they had planned ahead of time with refueling rigs and crew and whatnot, they would have probably gone on to complete the rest of the race. Um, You know, have the first hour award points for, for the GT4 West Championship and then um, let those cars continue on. And hey, I, you know, it's even not a bad idea for the Blancpain GT World Challenge America series next year. You know, maybe have the first hour and a half be the points paying race for, for that series. Um, all of a sudden, you're going to get a lot more GT3 cars in the field that way. Um, of course, there could be some issues with driver overlaps and whatnot. And there's a lot of, you know, logistical issues and officiating um, regulations, et cetera. There's always some variance there between the different series. But you know, it's not the best solution. You know, you'd always want to have a, a full field of organic entries for that race, you know, presumably wanting to compete for the full distance. But um, at least from a, a sheer number standpoint, it, it could be something they could consider. consider. Yeah, definitely something to, to think about. I thought that was really interesting. So uh, who knows if, if that will even be necessary next year, as we'll be talking about in a moment. Stefan Rattel has some ideas about ways to reinvigorate this race. So it uh, may not be necessary, but might be something to, to keep an eye on down the road. So that's a look back on the weekend at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. You can check out all of our coverage at sportscar365.com, including, of course, the race report, plus plenty of reaction stories as well. Let's take a break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about the news of the weekend sports car racing on the Double Stint Podcast. Hi, I'm Andy Prio, and you're listening to the Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, time to dive into the news, and as I've teased several times, let's talk about the future of the California eight hours now, John. Um, It seems pretty clear from your interview with Stefan Rattel that he is committed to this race and the concept of this race, and specifically with its location uh, staying the same and possibly even the date staying the same. That's good to hear because, frankly, as we discussed, the car count wasn't really what you would like to see ideally, even though the strength of the field was good. And this has still never been a big winner at the box office for the track either. I would say that uh, the change in date did nothing to help the crowd, which never has been the strongest in the first place. So how would you characterize uh, your conversation with Stefan and, and what did he lay out for this event in the long run? Well, Stefan is definitely committed, like you said. Um, he he said there, you know, no plans to change anything. He even went as far to say that there's no plans to move this date, this race back to an October date. 
Um, frankly, I, agree, I disagree a little bit. I think this probably would be better off in a, maybe a late October, early November time slot. Um, it's, it would be far enough away from the IMSA and IndyCar weekends where I think you'd still get um, a chance of a better audience. Um, this year, we, I think we probably saw fewer spectators maybe than previous years. I'm not 100% sure. I don't think the track released any numbers, but um, it was a bit disappointing to say the least. And, uh, you know, starting off the year, you know, in, 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 you know, from a track perspective in March is a bit early. And I think the biggest problem this event has faced has been the lack of promotion. They're, you know, speaking to people, you know, out, you know, in the, the Bay Area, um, in California, they didn't even know there was going to be a race this weekend. You know, I think when we posted our entry list um, on Monday, when it came out prior to the race, there were some people commenting on the article saying, hey, we didn't even know there was going to be a race this weekend. So um, I think just some more, more exposure some, you know, maybe even have some kind of special fan event either in downtown Monterey or have something in San Francisco itself or even San Jose. A lot of the other intercontinental GT Challenge events around the world have adopted this kind of parade um, atmosphere uh, um, fan event where the cars are driven down into the city center from the track. There's an autograph session in, in the middle of the city, then they drive them back up. Um, this happened, this is basically was a, a big famous thing we see at the hotel 24 hours of spa every year it was expanded to the bathurst 12 hour this year and was actually supposed to be a part of the suzuka 10 hours last year but um the, there was a typhoon that sort of got in the way of things but i think it's on track for suzuka this year so why not do that um you know maybe make it a little bit different maybe maybe transport the cars over to san jose or san francisco in a much bigger market you know have some ticket giveaways um put up some billboards in the weeks leading up you know make this a, a big event and and under you know try to reach this important california audience that you know might not even be knowing that there's a race going on so i think that's what sro needs to do um stefan hasn't really said what they're going to do he says he has some ideas um i have some suspicions and maybe you know including blanc pan gt world challenge america maybe a, a combined race like what i had suggested earlier in the show but um let's wait and see what happens i i know there's some smart people here at sro that are definitely going to be trying to work on some ideas but um bottom line is that i think that you know WeatherTech raceway laguna seca is here to stay this date is likely here to stay as well um even though it arguably may not be the best time slot for this race but um especially when it comes to american teams you know in the middle of their seasons but um we'll just have to see what happens in 2020 yeah, the the good news at the end of it, though, is just to hear how committed Stefan is, not just to this particular race, but in general, it seems like when he sets out to do something, he's he's not going to adjust with the change of the wind, right? I mean, he, he has been very committed to growing GT racing in America, making this event work in America, and I give him a lot of credit for that. I think uh, some other people might have seen the paltry crowd and paltry car count at the first running of this race and turned and ran, but uh, to his credit, he stuck it out, and, and I think you're right. I think there is some potential for this. It was neat being at the racetrack this time of year. I've never seen it so green. It was uh, definitely a different visual and something that I think played well on TV and, and certainly in person. The weather was maybe a bit cool, but still quite nice. So hopefully this is something that can build with a little bit of promotion and uh, just some some date security as well, where people get used to it running on, on this date. I think we were starting to build a little bit of that with the fall date, and that, of course, all gets undone when it moves to the spring. But uh, there there is some hope, and we'll see where that leads 
down the road. Another story to get to. We know that uh, there has been a push from a bunch of different angles to get hydrogen power to the 24 hours of Le Mans. We had a big step in that direction, John, with the Mission H24 hydrogen prototype project to getting some on-track run, running here relatively recently. Yeah, the car was at Le Mans on the Bugatti circuit um, this past week, um, doing some demonstration laps and promotion of its new uh, initiative. This is something that's been a, a partner deal between the ACO and Green GT. We saw the car run some demo laps at Spa during the European Le Mans Series weekend last September. Um, I think there's a chance we could see this car race in some Michelin Le Mans Cup races later this year. But um, bottom line is the ACO is just trying to raise some more awareness for this, um, trying to continue development and everything sort of heading towards their goal of having hydrogen powered prototypes on the grid at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 2024. So that still is the plan. We know that BMW is one manufacturer that's been pretty vocal about wanting hydrogen to be a part of the regulations at some point here relatively soon. Do we know how much uh, of the industry elsewhere is really leaning this way, or, or is this kind of BMW and the ACO leading this push, hoping that others will fall in line? Well, I know BMW is interested. Um, Audi, to some extent, is also interested. They haven't publicly come out and said that yet, but we, we know that they're in, in, in discussions, and there's also some other manufacturers, I believe, that are in the, the technical working group for hydrogen. Um, you know, when you look at alternative fuels and alternative, you know, technologies, I think something like hydrogen works the best for endurance racing. You know, if you have battery electric vehicles, it's not going to work in a 24-hour race unless you do hot swapping of the batteries and we're not at that stage in terms of safety and practicality right now for that so um i think hydrogen is the the, the midterm solution at least you know i can't say it's short term because it still isn't fully developed but um you know and a lot also depends on what happens in the on the production line whether there's a higher adoption rate for hydrogen in road cars or everything's just going to go full fully battery electric we'll have to wait and see but i think for what the aco is doing is very smart of them to be uh, on the forefront of this um, my only concern right now is costs especially when you look at all the discussions going on with the hypercar or, or you know the hypercar supercar regulations and how all that's going to pan out you know and and what the future is for the top prototype class top class at the at Le Mans and in and the WEC. Yeah, still a lot of questions that need to be resolved, but at least in the case of the hydrogen side of things, there is a considerable amount of time to get all that ironed out. Uh, one other story, we've got uh, something that, that we've been building towards for a while. Super GT and DTM have been in conversations trying to align their regulations, and there's been some discussion about hoping to have joint races, and we know now that two will be held and and actually, they'll be held this year in 2019, one on a DTM race weekend and then another in Japan as a non-points event. Yes, so single car GT500 entries from Toyota, Honda, and Nissan 
will join the DTM grid for its um, Hockenheim season finale in early October. And then there's going to be a non-points race where all the cars from both championships together will convene at Fuji Speedway on November 23rd to 24th for that exhibition race. Um, so this is definitely a step in the right direction, a considerable step forward after you know countless years of talks and um, alignment of the regulations between the two um, uh, sanctioning bodies. We're getting closer and closer to true Class 1 regulations for nearly all the cars. I think all of them bar the Honda, which is a mid-engined um, concept, which is not allowed per Class 1 regulations, are pretty much there in terms of um, the, the technical specifications now that uh, DTM has gone to turbocharged engines. There's still some questions over, you know, tighter suppliers. You know, D DTM has a, a spec deal with Hankook where um, Super GT has an open tire format. How will these um, exhibition races be run with, with something like that? Um, we'll have to wait and see. But I think this is a real great step forward to see this um, most likely happen and actually has nailed down some uh, definitive dates for this year. Yeah, that's really exciting news. So stay tuned for more on that at sportscar365.com. Coming up next on Double Stint, we'll have a word with Nick Foster, who is part of the driving lineup that won the California 8 Hours for Hub Auto Corsa. We'll talk to him next on Double Stint. I'm Lawson Ashenbach. You're listening to SportsCar 365's Double Stint Podcast. Nick Foster, kind enough to join us on the Double Stint Podcast here. Just got done with the podium celebration. You guys end up on top of the podium. And this is really a remarkable story for a, a team from Taiwan to come in here and represent Ferrari the way that you guys did. How gratifying has this experience been? Yeah, for the team itself, absolutely phenomenal. No one in our team has been here before, so we just chipped away over the course of the weekend and, and built what we could, uh, focused on a race car. We knew how important uh, tyre deg and obviously the track condition here is, is quite phenomenal when you compare it to anywhere else in the world, obviously that I go to for sure. So um, so yeah, we just Chavo, um, so we just uh, yeah we just chipped away and, and got the job done. Uh, lucky enough that while working on a race car, we also found something that would work for Quali, and I think that's what really set us up for the race. So a good performance from from all three of us in in Quali, and then I managed to go on the second row in Super Pole, and I think the uh, the cool conditions this morning really set Miguel up. It suited our car. We could switch the tyres on quickly, and that's what sort of set our race up right from the word go. And it was. A pretty dominant run if it weren't for an issue with the air gun in one of the pit stops this could have been even more dominant than it turned out to be yeah spewing definitely a little bit on the wheel gun it would have made our life a, a little bit easier but um you know these things happen um you can't plan for for anything like that and uh it's a massive credit to our team the hub auto guys they did a fantastic job they got on top of it sorted out the bottles got a new gun um calibrated everything in in the that period of the poor pit stop and basically got us back on track and, and our engineering group in terms of strategy wise managed to get us in an overlap position on the Porsche so on my second last in I was able to come out uh, just ahead of it and sort of put the power down a little bit and, and use the pace that we had so um, yeah it's just just a credit massive credit to our team and to, to Miguel and and Slady as well I mean it's just you know the whole team put it together today seemed like you three were having an awful lot of fun as well you guys got along nicely yeah i think that's the australian uh and maybe we added a spanish this weekend so you know it's just 
we, we make it a fun weekend. We talk about A-class banter. We make sure we have A-class banter all weekend. <laughs> a little burnouts for the fans and everything. And, yeah, no, it's if it's not enjoyable, it's not worth coming. Going back to the start of the weekend, realistically, did you feel that you guys had a, a shot to win the way that you did? Uh, in terms of performance, no. I think, don't think you can ever rock up to a track and say, right, oh, we're going to dominate this weekend or, or this race because there was never a point during the weekend where we were in that position until race day. Uh, but in terms of having pace, I have to give absolute credit to our team because every time I step in this car, I know that I'm capable of being at the front. And then you just push like hell to, to make it happen. And, um, you know, sometimes it comes together like this weekend and sometimes it doesn't like Bathurst. But, uh, you know, it's a massive credit to our hub auto Corsa guys because I can really say that every time I jump into this car I know I've got a podium finishing car. How significant is this win for the team? I think internationally unless you were play- paying close attention maybe this is not a name that people were that familiar with but you really have to stop and take notice now. Yeah, for us as as a team and and Hub Auto Corsa as a as a group of people, it's it's massive. I mean, we're a privateer team racing against manufacturers, so um, so obviously we have a, a manufacturer driver with us this weekend. But in terms of uh, our performance to go up against these big guns, container racing coming from from Taiwan, from Asia, you know, the team only building up over the last couple of years. It's uh, really a really a phenomenal achievement, and I'm just super stoked to to ride the wave and be a part of it what's next for you uh next for us is obviously the next round of intercontinental so looking forward to spa 24 um you know when you come off something like this you look forward to the next one straight away so that's my next focus that's my next goal um whatever pops up in between now and then we'll see the team are racing next weekend actually in asia so they've got two two cars uh running in uh in bumping series asia so um yeah, I mean, for them, they'll have a full reset and go again and, and look, look to try and secure a, a championship and a few podiums next weekend in Sepang. Well, well done this weekend. Pleasure to have you on the podcast, and thanks for all the time on Pit Lane, too, throughout the race for TV. No stress. I'm, I'm easy, mate. You come and, come and get good banter from me. It's no stress. <laughs> we'll see you at the next one. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Hi, I'm Jerome Liekemolen, and you're listening to Sports Car 365 Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, thanks to Nick for his time immediately after the race. I uh, had not met him before, but couldn't have been more friendly and certainly happy to, to see his success and that of the team. Uh, I think everyone from from that team was on pins and needles. I was standing in their pits uh, during the end of that race, and it was kind of fun watching them as they were wheeling the car home. And uh, anyway, it was good to... Good to see them have some success, so thanks to Nick for the time. John, back with me now as we wrap up the show. We have a listener question from Masked Racer to close things out who wants to know, he says, I have noticed the Ford GT has never won a race that ended at night, most notably the Sebring 12 Hours and Petit Le Mans Road Atlanta. Is there something to this trend? I took a look at some stats because I was curious too, and I've discovered that since the 4GT program came online in 2016, the 4GTs have have uh, amassed just three podium finishes in all of the Sebring and Petit Le Mans races since then. They finished second on three occasions, the first being Petit Le Mans in 2016. They finished second at Sebring in 2017 and then second at Sebring this year. 
that does seem a little lower than expected, but I'm still not sure I'm willing to to ascribe any causality to this. What do you think, John? Yeah, I think it's more or less a coincidence, especially even looking at this year's 12 hours of Sebring. And, you know, look how close they came to winning the, the, the Ryan Briscoe entry until the late race incident. You know, he was right in the mix of things, you know, challenging for the win. So I... I, I don't think it's anything to do with nighttime performance. You know, I, I could be wrong, but um, it's a really good observation, though. Yeah, very interesting. So thanks for writing in. If you have a question for our show next week, you can use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter, or you can leave a comment in the comment section from this week's show. That's going to do it for us here this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have the time. And for the latest headlines... From SportsCar 365 in audio form, check out our Daily Digest podcast that comes out every morning on weekdays, and we'll get you all caught up in under three minutes on the headlines from the previous day or from over the weekend in the case of Mondays. Like I said, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk with you next week with our next edition of the Double Stint Podcast. 